Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, it's a light news week, but we're going to be talking about the banning of Korean stars in China due to, to recent political events. Also, uh, we've got a Hong Kong children's film, a very rare genre, that we're going to be making mention of. And our film review for this week is the HKTV drama come movie, The Menu. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and coming to you from his news desk inside HKTV's prop room is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hey there, Paul. How's it going, sir? Oh, going all right. How are you doing? Staying staying cool in the summer? You, yeah, you yeah. You know, it's. I, I guess we're kind of winding down. It seems like most of the big summer movies have... Um, have already been released. We're going to be talking about a couple of these in some upcoming episodes. But I, I think really the only big major kind of summer film is the one that most people um, lambasted, and that's the BFG, right? We're getting that, I think, later this week or next week. This week, and I, I'm very excited about I'm never not excited about a new Spielberg film. Yeah, but I apparently think, this um, is like the, you know, a lot of people have not been... Um, been very happy with this film but uh, i'm gonna go see it i mean i i'm anxious to see what all the hubbub is about to be sure but the thing is the asian the asian summer films are just coming in i mean we already had our big hollywood invasion june and july but you know this month this week we have line walker to fill the movie the big tvb movie next week we have two big hong kong films both lao cheng one we have uh call of heroes the new benny chan action film and heart fall rises the one with uh nicholas say then the week after that we have sort of the um the this year's Hong Kong Summer Sleeper, which is Weeds on Fire, has been doing very well with the uh, early showings and might be a next big hit. And also Train to Busan, the, the incredibly fun zombie, uh, Korean uh, zombie train movie. And of course, the new Godzilla movie, man. Ah, yes, Godzilla, the big G. Can't wait for that. Right. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the Train to Busan? Because I know it's gotten a lot of buzz. It's it's um, played, it played in the film festival over in Korea. Um, but there's a prequel to it. Yeah, uh, well, Train to Busan, actually the film before, the director, Yong Sun Ho, he's a, an animation director. So he made uh, a film called uh, King of Pigs, uh, The Fake. Uh, those are two different films, sorry. His, his, um, then his third animated film is actually called Soul Station, which is about a um, zombie plague that breaks out in Soul Station. And after he made that, he made Train to Busan, which is actually the sequel a follow-up to Soul Station. So actually, Soul Station was made before Train to Busan and was meant to to you know be released afterwards. But just the way that you know commercial releases work now, um, Soul Station is sort of riding on the back of Train to Busan's humongous success in Korea. And uh, yeah, and essentially, it's a prequel. It's a story that explains how the the, the zombie plague started in Soul Station because the um, in Train to Busan, the train leaves Seoul Station, and that's when the zombie gets on the board and the train, and then the train is on the way southwards to Busan. Right. So, um, but but we're not getting a release of of that, right? We're just getting train train to Busan. We're only getting train to Busan, and I'm guessing if train to Busan does really well, um, Seoul Station might get a release. Um, actually, it's not even being released in Korea. Seoul Station, I mean, it's not being released in Korea until next week. Okay. All right. Yeah. And but of course, it's being sold on the back because I always train to Busan. Yeah. Right. 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 All right, well, um, that's some excellent film news and some, again, very exciting things coming throughout the remainder of the month as we wind out the uh, hot, typhoon-esque days of summer. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about a little bit of news because it's not been a big news week uh, this week. So I'm going to throw the talking stick back over at Kevin with our news. Here at the news desk, uh, just one news story and then sort of a little discussion afterwards. Um, there, there's a rumor out there that China 
uh, is actually banning Korean stars um, on the television and on the on their film screens due to um, the installment of a missile defense system um, in South Korea. Uh, apparently, um, to because of the provoca- uh, provocation of North Korea, uh, South Korean government had decided to install a missile defense system called THAAD, T-H-A-A-D, which stands for Terminal High Altitude Area Defense. Um, it's an anti-ballistic missile system developed by the U.S. that's designed to shoot down um, uh, ballistic missiles. Um, so obviously it's to sort of defend any possible missile attacks from, from North Korea. Um, now, China was, was very much against the, the plan um, I'm guessing due to you know regional stability and they don't like the Americans sort of butting into Asia and because they are a, a, a huge ally of essentially the only ally of North Korea. So um, it, it, the rumor is that to uh, retaliate against the South Korean government, the, gov- uh, the Chinese government is banning uh, Korean stars from the screens, uh, from TV appearances and from any more film appearances. Um, and actually, um, the news was so serious that, that when the newspapers actually spoke to agencies in Korea and also Hong Kong agencies that do have Korean stars, even they admit that they've heard of such a ban. But um, recently, uh, this week, a Korean star, Lee jung um before last week, he was actually rumored to have been rejected a Chinese visa to go promote his new film. However, his... his, his um, agency has denied the news and said that he got his visa and has traveled to China to promote the film. But nevertheless, the, um, um, the, the, the sort of, this rumor is still kind of out there. And, and honestly, the only reason that it's actually believable is because we know that China has a way of putting politics in every sort of aspect of people's lives, right? Um, just, just recently, you got the... Um, it, for example, the South Sea, the South China Sea uh, ruling, you have people, you know, even celebrities sort of being uh, 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 forced to sort of talk about or, or pledge their allegiance to one China policy after that ruling came out to sort of f- uh, stand for United China. And people and celebrities, especially the, the ones from China and Taiwan who didn't uh, pledge, who didn't write anything on their microblog, were actually lambasted or, or they were attacked by netizens. Uh, one of the stars is Charlene Choi. Who, uh, who went fought back against the netizens, saying that she doesn't have to write um, any support for one China policy to show that she loves China. She's already done enough. She's donated money to to you know kids in the mountains for you know education and stuff like that. So she fights back. Or or recently there was also Leon Dai, the Taiwan actor who was essentially replaced from the Vicky Zhao film uh, No Other Love because he refused to to against pledge his allegiance to one China policy and be against and come out directly against Taiwan dependence and um, he's essentially being blacklisted in China so we know that Chinese politics have always permeated in sort of the, the entertainment industry um, and which I find ironic very ironic because when 10 years won the Hong Kong Film Awards the um, the netizens the patriotic netizens in China they were saying that the film shouldn't have won because it was a politics should be separate from film. So it's clear that they're always sort of moving the goalposts uh, according to the way they like it. But um, again, it's a very scary way of the way China is sort of trying to wave or swing its political power or is trying to sway, swing its political power around Asia by essentially bullying people or bullying other countries into sort of doing their what they want. Um and it would suck. I mean, the thing is, for Korean entertainment stars, the thing is, the industry, um, they pay these stars so little that China has sort of become their big um, money-making, money, money you know, it's their ATM, essentially. It's their origin of where they make a lot of money, where they do they get a lot of work. A lot of Korean directors now making films in China. A lot of Korean actors now making appearances in China. Korean drama selling to China for a huge price. It, essentially... It's almost like a cautionary tale that perhaps none of us should really rely on the China money that much because that money is, you never know what kind of political, whatever crisis is going to happen. And that's going to lose a big chunk of your business. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd have to agree. Anybody who's staking a claim on China is, as their bread and butter is really taking a big risk these days, um, unless you're totally willing to come out and be you know super subservient to whatever they tell you 
Uh, I think at a certain point, if it keeps going the way it's going, the world's got to say, we're kind of done. We're kind of sick of it. I mean, it's not worth uh, the effort. But, um, I don't, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of an overall ban, it's interesting because, I mean, back in the Cultural Revolution, for example, I know that uh, Teresa Tang music was banned. Uh, you know, Teresa Tang, very popular Taiwanese artist, and her music was banned, but it still made its way in. And this is, you know, before we had the age of... Uh, you know, downloads and bit torrents and, and e, you know, control C, control V for copying media so easily, it still made its way through whatever channels um, and through, you know, uh, kind of a, what do they call it, signal spillover in, into parts of China, especially, you know, southeastern China. And, you know, her music was still popular, even though technically it was banned. So I have to imagine that for a percentage of the population, they're still going to want to consume uh, K-pop, as it were. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because we just talked about on our last episode, I think, uh, Bounty Hunters, right? Which is sort of like the the current model, this mixed model of Hong Kong, China money, Korean actors, you know, all rolled up into this big kind of cosmopolitan Asian ball. And, um, you know, it's 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 sad, again, that politics has to come in and and prevent people from doing their jobs and, and make them, you know, come out and make statements that perhaps they don't actually really believe, you know. Right, right, exactly. And and the thing is, like you said, I think that this this sort of, if there's such a policy, you know, it's only going to hurt people who are trying to make legit money in, in Korea. Because like you said, people are always going to find ways to import these uh, uh, Korean products on their own and without sort of paying any money to to the content owners. Yeah. So that's that's kind of makes it. That's what kind of makes it sad. Indeed. Well, hopefully things will take a turn for the better. But speaking of sp- sad, right? We're going to talk about something sad. Uh, children's films in Hong Kong. Right. <laughs> right. And is there is is there such a thing? Right. I mean, at one time there used to be. We used to have, like, the run, you, if you remember back, what was it, in the, I want to say early 90s to early to mid-90s, we had the Shaolin Poppy films, which were kind of like these Hong Kong-Taiwan co-productions, right? Yeah, yeah, Uman Dog, yeah. yeah. Um, that, were, that were, you know, somewhat popular and, and kid-centric, but we really haven't had a lot of really kid-focused uh, Hong Kong cinema for quite some time. I mean, we could consider maybe the McDull films, but... Even there, McDull is the, the the writing there is really geared more towards adults. Well, I have a question for you, Paul. As a parent, I mean, you're a parent. I'm not a parent. I don't have you know. I have a nephew and a niece, but I don't show them any movies here in America. But you're a parent. I, I want to kind of know um, what kind of when you when you think of films to show to your daughter, what what, what kind of criteria do you think about, or what kind of um, um, you know, yeah, what kind of criteria do you consider like what does the film have to have for it to be sort of uh okay for for your daughter's consumption well yeah yeah, that's a tough question i'm a bit of a helicopter dad (laughs) um we you know we've actually taken her to two films actually in the cinema she's had two film experiences the first one was the good dinosaur earlier this year the pixar film and then more recently the secret life of pets and she fared fairly well in both of them. I mean, she's she's used to watching things on the iPad, and she's she's really big on like YouTube, like you know, lots of you know, Tom and Jerry stuff before it was uh, Teletubbies and that kind of thing. So she's a bit more into the slapstick humor now. Um, and even there, though, I kind of you know, I, I kind of get a little bit worried about some of the violence in those old cartoons. But I grew up watching those, and I think I turned out fairly well balanced. So it's hard for me to gauge, you know, what is a good age. Actually, I've been to a couple websites because with uh, Finding Dory, right, that came out. I still haven't seen Finding Dory, and I'm kicking myself for that because usually I'm a, you know, a Disney film or a Pixar film. It's like I'm a, I must see it in the first week, but I just haven't had an opportunity to get out to, to see it. But part of my plan was I wanted to sit down and watch Finding Nemo with my daughter and then take her to watch Finding Dory, but... I go to these websites, they have so many websites out there now, and you can ask, like, you know, at what age should you show this Disney film to your child, right? Right, like a parent's guide thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, you, you get a mixed bag of these things. You know, some of them will say, oh, you know, maybe five or six. Others will say four is okay. 
Um, so you're really just kind of trying to use your best judgment. Typically, I'm trying to avoid stuff that's showing too much violence, too much hitting, or or something that I think is going to be too scary. Um, and I, I, you know, I've tried her with a few things, and then sometimes I'm like we, we tried watching the original Snow White um, a couple months back, and it was going along pretty well, and then it got to a couple scary parts, and I was like, oh, pause, you know, because I don't want to traumatize her. I don't want her to have like these you know, flashback experiences to these scary moments. But um, she handles most stuff pretty well. So I just try to avoid, you know, too much violence or um, to th- things that I think are going to be a bit too scary for her. Well, the thing is, if I'm a parent, oh, well, first of all, what do you, do you think about the values that these films should be instilling in children? Like, do you think about messages? Well, I used to, you know, I, I we... It gets down to the nature-nurture argument, and I'm still kind of not sure. <laughs> because we, when we had our daughter, I kind of had the mindset that, okay, I'm not going to put anything in terms of preconceptions. I'm not going to raise her as a princess, right? Right. Um, despite my instincts in, in wanting to. I want to let her make her own decisions. You know, when she's in the toy store or when she's in the clothing store, let her pick the things she likes. But she has totally gone girl, right? <laughs> I mean, she she loves pink. It's got to be pink. She loves Hello Kitty. I, and this is not stuff that we've forced upon her at all. This is her making conscious choices. You uh, know? I have to say that when you said she went Gone Girl, I was like, wait, the Fincher movie <laughs> Gone Girl? Like, no, she's, 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 no like... she's, she's gone all girl. You know? oh, okay, she's, yeah. she's, she's full in all 100%, you know, uh, stereotypical what you would imagine that parents would force on a kid to right. be a girl, you know, the the, the print, whole princess thing. that That's her, but that's her by choice. Um, right. So I don't, you know, it, again, is it nature, nurture, something inherent in our genes, our genetic code? I don't know. I really don't. But uh, that's just my experience. So The thing is, if, I, if I'm a parent, like, I think the basic minimum requirement for a film that I'm going to show to my child is that the, the, the filmmaker does not treat my child like an imbecile. And on that and on that note, <laughs> I think Girl of the Big House has totally failed the test. <laughs> because I mean okay, so we both watched the film, right? Yeah. The thing is I, I'm worried for children who watch this film. I worry for parents who actually think t- took their kids to this film thinking that my oh, kid's gonna get a good time out of it, they're gonna learn something, they'll learn good value, whatever. It's gonna be a healthy film for them to watch. I very much worry for those people. Okay. So this this is a new kids film uh, produced by Wang Jing, written by Wang Jing, and uh, very basic sort of recap of the plot. Um, Angela Wang who was in the uh, what was it? Uh, Where are we going, Dad? Reality yeah. show. She she's uh, the little girl in From Vegas to Macau two and three. And three. Yeah. So like you were saying before the show, like like for some reason Wang Jing has a fascination with this little girl. Like of all the Jing girls. <laughs> This is like easily the worst Jing girl ever, right? Um, um, so she's like a little princess. She lives in a you know big mansion with a, uh, a butler. With uh, her parents are you know mostly gone. They're played by Francis Singh and Miriam Yun. Uh, the dad's a banker and he's mostly gone. He can't afford you know stuff like a huge robot that looks sort of like the robot from Big Hero Six, except red. Yeah. Um, and 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 things like that, and of course, um, because she's a rich kid, she's uh, sort of targeted by these kidnappers. One of whom is um, actually uh, the girl's father's older brother, yeah, right? Her, her brother. uncle that she yeah, doesn't uncle, know. Yeah. yeah, her uncle is also played by Francis. Mm. Um, so the whole film is about essentially her and sort of facing off uh, against these this ki- uh, wannabe kidnappers, along with you know three street smart kids and also the butler. That's sort of half the film. Um, so yeah, it sounds like oh, Home Alone, right? Sounds kind of cool. It actually is not. It's uh, it sort of jumps all over the place. You have it kind of doesn't really have a plot for the first thirty minutes, forty five minutes or so. Um, so it's just jumping all over the place, sort of introducing these characters, and you have these, you know, the thing is, you have these really lame jokes and really lame gags, and and it just sort of treats children as like idiots. Who doesn't know any better? And it's just really such a juvenile film. And I'm talking about Wang Jing here, right? I'm, this is juvenile by Wang Jing standards. Um, and and you have, you know, if it, part of it looks like a Chinese reality show because you have text on screen. And the girl, the little girl, you know, sees the teacher has a boyfriend. And she's like, I want to 
want to try dating someone, you know, stuff like that. This is really weird values that's instilling in children because the kid starts as this rich princess who's like in a bubble right and she's like i want to go out and meet friends and at the end she's still rich in a bubble and have friends and she does nothing to like earn it right she didn't do she's not even that smart she didn't even she didn't even outwit the thieves like the way you know home alone the home alone kid does right so it's to me it's like how can why can't hong kong make a proper film for kids that doesn't treat kids like idiots. Is it really that much, that difficult of a skill that only writers at like Pixar and Disney, like big corporation, like can do? I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't seem, I mean, when you think about kids' films that show in Hong Kong, it's usually a Doraemon film. Right. Right. Um, Right. That's been imported over from Japan. Or what is it, the... uh, Chibi Maruko character. Yeah, yeah, Chibi Maruko. Yeah, they, yeah. they have a. They have, she's got a film out um, coming this month, I think. Right. Um, you know, uh, for me, this film it wasn't super terrible as Wong Jing goes. It was it was fairly typical. Um, I just think that it you know it 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 just goes through the motions basically. I mean, you've seen the street smart kid archetypes before. They come in and they help, and then you know. The, the girl is, is you know, a super rich princess. So, I mean, there's a shot in here. You talk about excess. There's a shot in the film where there's an entire, entire sofa made of teddy bears. I mean, a huge, long, like, I want to say 8 to 10 foot sofa. And it's entirely made out of teddy bears, right? So it's like you, you talk about the idea of presenting a, an idyllic life for a child, you know that knows no want, and, and knows you know no no can, can get basically anything they want, and and even in the opening shot, the opening shot like is at a breakfast table, and it shows dozens and dozens of food plates, but she's not allowed to eat them. So I'm like, why did who? Why would you prepare that? Right? Cause yeah. Because because <laughs> the the butler played by um the landlady from Kung Fu Hustle, right, and is still doing the the same shtick. Right. Yeah. Still doing the 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 loud shout because Wong Jing has to go back to that well. Um, you know he she does it to try and wake her up in the morning, but she she like has this huge layout of food. The parents aren't there. Nobody else is there. And then she tells her, "You're fat. You can't eat all this. You know, you here have an egg sandwich. Here's a like, scrambled egg. With, it's like you know with bread. You know, the smooth point? butter. What was the point of that to show you know to show all that excess? You know, oh, we're gonna waste the food." Um, no, it's just that kind of thing. It, it's it's very typical that you know they want to show the opulence, the, the lifestyle. I stayed behind for the credits to see where this this place that they filmed the house. The house, it's not just a mansion. I mean, it really looks like a Disney castle. And apparently, this is a real place. I guess somewhere up in the, in mainland China, it's called Chateau something. I, I, I tried <laughs> to make a quick note of the name at the end. But this is like a real place, you know. This I don't know if it's somebody's house or it's a tourist destination, but it is, a, you know, it's, it wasn't CG apparently. You know, they're trying to say that this is a place in Hong Kong. I was like, yeah, right, you know. Even for a banker, that's going to be kind of hard to do. But again, this is a film that's got a robot that basically acts like a human and can do stuff. And um, So, you know, it's a kid's film. It's trying to be cutesy and, and trying to throw in elements that kids enjoy. But it's kind of just... Again, it's a color by numbers or a paint by numbers kind of approach. The the more the most interesting aspect again, I talked about this with Kevin was why did Miriam Young and Francis even agree to be in this? It just seems like such an odd choice for them. I don't know. They got a really good paycheck out of it, I'm sure, but you know, at, for both of them being in kind of the positions they're in to do a Wang Jing film and a Wang Jing film directed at kids. Uh, at this point in their careers just seems like you know an odd choice maybe i could see this being done five six seven years ago right but to be in the last couple years it just seems kind of strange but who knows you know Uh, maybe they just decided it was time to do a kids movie and try and revive the kids genre there is really no i i I, the thing is i think is insulting because just the way it treats its audience as the thing is is it that hard to sort of make a proper film for kids the way that you know it tells a strong story that doesn't pander that doesn't sort of look down on kids like because the whole film just 
so looked down on kids. It's going like, you know, like you guys don't deserve like, you know, adult normal storytelling. You guys, like, I'm going to have to spell everything for you and treat you like idiots and, you know, come up with these dumb, dumb jokes. It, it's just really sort of, it insulted me in the way that if I'm a parent, I will be insulted. So I wasn't even a parent. Like, and like, I'm just thinking as a prospective pro- potential parent i was insulted at what my kids could have been watching so i don't know maybe it's just me being you know sensitive you know, but the, the, I, this is not a film i mean the film also stars um uh jim chim jim soyman in a kind of super over the top villainy role he wears kind of a car- comic book style villain wig <laughs> he's got a patch over his eye even though he doesn't need it and and he comes in as sort of the gang leader um and he's got a gun, and, you know, he's putting it in people's faces. But then, of course, later it turns out to be, like, a water gun. So the the threat level is never super high, but they do end up, you know, kind of, you know, there's some kicking of people and, you know, throwing of durians at people at times. Kids almost drowning. You know, um, so, it yeah, it does, you know, it, it does raise some questions about, okay, what age group is this really intended for? The screening I was at, and the screenings for this were almost impossible to get out to. It was obviously we just kind of wanted to bury the film. But there was one family in the screening that I was in. Um, looked like two kids and parents. And I think I heard the mom laugh maybe one time. Um, the kids never really seemed to make any sort of open vocal, you know, uh, acknowledgments of, of what was going on. So it, it just felt like pretty standard fair that we've seen done before in half a dozen movies and kind of thrown in as a patchwork here i i am curious though um because we we didn't talk about it but um in vegas to macau 3 we get you know the idea of this sort of transforming robot we've seen that in vegas to macau 2 and it's here too this kind of you know wong jing has a fascination for whatever reason or his writers do for showing these butler-esque style robots that can transform. I don't know. Maybe he wants to do a Transformers movie. Um, oh, you think he doesn't have one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess he's tried. You know, we could go back to uh, like what Future X Cops and things. Remember, the, the most, uh, the biggest love story from Vegas and Macau 3 was actually the robots. He has a real fascination with robots recently. Like I yeah, said, I don't yeah, understand he does. it. He does. It's really um, weird. But yeah, it, it, you know, this is definitely, this is probably not something that if you're an adult um, and you don't really enjoy, you know, kind of standard fair kids films, this is probably not something that's going to be up your alley, despite the sort of heavy presence of Miriam Young and Francis M on the cover. Yeah, if you're an adult, what the hell are you watching doing this film unless you're like, you're like a masochist. <laughs> like, so, like, why would you want to sit for this movie unless you're like us trying to catch every hong kong movie ever and how many people are there like that i mean my god i i sat through this movie back to back with league of gods and i think it was one of the worst movie days i ever had <laughs> seriously i came out of it i needed to watch like a like an argentinian film to sort of wash my brain out of all that stuff i had to sit through it was, it was such a terrible day all right well that's our news like you said slow news week so we kind of threw in a mini sub review in there just for fun Why don't we take a short musical break, and we'll be back to talk about our actual film for this week, and that is the HKTV film Menu. And we're back. Our film this week, The Menu. Uh, this is from director Ben Fong, who also served as the director for the HKTV series. Now, if you're not sure what I mean by that, we'll get into a little bit of an explanation uh, as to what exactly HKTV is. We've talked about it before here on the show on a few episodes, but it's still not sort of a household name with regard to Hong Kong entertainment. But the story itself uh, depicts the ongoing struggles of a news team at a paper called Smart Post. Uh, under pressure from both new media formats changing and their ethically challenged rivals at Flash News, the reporting team finds themselves embroiled in a kidnapping case that touches upon an even older rape and murder case, and all of this reopens a debate on Hong Kong's double jeopardy law. 
probably not going to make a lot of sense um, to listeners out there, but we'll try to explain each of these points in turn. So this is a film in the vein of TV dramas that have been turned into movies. So think of Triumph in the Skies, think of Turning Point, think of last year's Return of the Cuckoo, and even the forthcoming film that we'll be talking about in a couple weeks from now, Line Walker the Movie. Right, I have to throw that end <laughs> in there because it's actually in the title, Line Walker the Movie. Not to be confused with Line Walker the TV, TVB drama 30 episode series. So, yeah, most of all, these titles, again, are either taken in name, sometimes in name, or sometimes as a direct extension from uh, the dramas from which they're derived. And this is very much in line with that. The difference being that this is not a TVB series. This is a series on HKTV. Now, HKTV has a little bit of a politically embroiled history that we don't really need to go into, but the long and the short of it is is that they wanted to become a TV network. They got denied by the government, so they decided to go online with sort of a streaming service. Haven't been super successful in doing that, but you can actually go and watch their content for free if you go to hktvmall.com. And what you'll notice is that they've kind of become more of a kind of like a jet.com or an amazon.com kind of service where they're trying to sell lots of stuff to people by uh, online ordering but they do have this entertainment tab and there you can go and see the tv dramas that they uh, produced and these are for you know many intents and purposes pretty well produced tv dramas especially if you compare to the standard sort of tvb level production values that um most TVB dramas end up taking. So um, I don't know if it's region blocked. Do you know it at all, at all, Kevin, if it's region locked to Hong Kong or um, can anybody sign up and view it from anywhere in the world? Um, I would assume that they're region locked because um, I think they're trying to sell rights to abroad. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I think I think. I mean, if you, if you have a VPN, you should be able to maybe, you know, tap into the into a Hong Kong VPN and, and, and check it out online. Again, it's free. You just need to like sign up for an account, you know, standard email and password, and you can go online, you can watch it. Now, the big difference between this and most uh, primetime TVB dramas is that they do not offer English subtitles for these. They do have traditional Chinese subtitles, so if your Chinese or your Cantonese is good enough, you can... Um, you'll find, you know, that the production values on some of their series is pretty good, the writing's pretty good, They've gotten somewhat positive reviews for a couple of them, and uh, they're you know they can be entertaining. But in terms of trying to expand the market outward, um, at least through the TV Mall interface itself, um, if you need English, you're not going to get it there, unfortunately. So, so yeah, that's sort of the setup for uh, what HKTV is and what they were trying to do. Now, I remember before they got denied. Um, seeing some promotional material, I mean, they were like really trying to promote themselves as being sort of the next thing in entertainment production. They had gotten much better equipment. You know, TVB dramas tend to have that sort of video-esque look to them, um, you know, that staged look, if you will, and they were going to go f fully for a more film look and uh, higher production values for their pr productions, and I was pretty excited um, in sort of the initial phases. And that look still carries over to their work. And so it's interesting here to see the the shift. Now, I haven't watched the Menu uh, drama series. I think it's like a 24-episode series. I did uh, jump on and, and scan through a little bit of the first episode. Um, and the, the look and the production value of what they did for the series carries over onto the big screen um, quite Quite, quite naturally. I basically think it's it's all the same production equipment they were using, and it's the same cast. So um, you get a get a pretty smooth carryover if you're a fan of the series onto the big screen, unlike what you get in, say, things like Triumph in the Skies or Turning Point or um, I think what they're doing with Line Walker, where they're carrying over a few characters from the TVB series, but then they're throwing in big guns like uh, Louis Koo and uh, Nick Chung, right? who were not on the TV series. So um, I wasn't too sure about the English title, and maybe this is something that Kevin can uh, elaborate on. The menu, 
um, because it, they don't really refer to that at all in the film. Perhaps this was something that um, was elaborated on in the series itself that I have not gotten to. Um, but, it, you know, it, it is this is basically a kind of uh, a, a journalistic style movie. Um, I'm, you know, the thing, the one movie that kind of comes to mind is the old movie News Attack from, I think, the 90s. Uh, but primarily, you know, it's a, it's a story about journalists. And the, the main narrative centers around SmartPost and this core news team, which primarily remains the same. Um, you have Noel Lung as the chief editor, um, Catherine Chow as one of the writers, uh, Kate Young as a junior reporter who's only recently joined, and Gregory Wong as sort of their photographer, photojournalist. Uh, you get a couple veterans in here too who I don't think were in the regular show, so Mantat is one of the bigger names. He has a central role that, that we'll touch on in just a little bit. Um, and so that kind of sets the stage. So if you've seen the drama, you know who these people are. The film does give kind of a recap Kind of like if you are used to like a, you know, last season on uh, the X-Files or last season on Game of Thrones, this happened, right? And so they kind of give you a recap. They actually show the montage of the the, the sort of title crawl for the drama um, in the film. So right away, not having seen the drama, I kind of went into this thinking, hey, is this based on a TV show or something? Because it has that kind of feel to it. Um, but even though it has the feel, the look of it is still quite cinematic. So the main plot uh, involves this kidnapping case where Mantat plays a disgruntled father and he wants to meet with the chief executive to get the double jeopardy law changed. And why this, you know, why he takes people hostage at a, at a news studio and is threatening to blow people up is because his daughter was date raped in a case that happened years before and she was killed when um, the guy who date raped her got scared and so this guy who did it he was a tycoon's son they used his money to buy off the witnesses and so he sort of got off scot-free now years later the witnesses want to come and set the record straight but the double jeopardy law prevents him from being retried for the same case despite new evidence so Mantat wants that law changed and he thinks that taking hostages and meeting with the chief executive is the way to do it because he's tried protesting and that's never that never worked right so as this as the whole story for this unfolds the team has to deal with the pressure of a rival rival organization called flash news which has a new editor and she has a very brazen way of doing things um touches on a lot of sort of key modern media issues which for me were interesting i mean for example, having to bang out a story in under 10 minutes, you know. So if you look at the way that especially local Hong Kong news has changed in the past decade, just seeing the quality kind of decline and the, the, the kind of blog and clickbait headlines that get pushed out there instead of actual journalism, um, they kind of get into why that's happened, sort of the pressures in the newsroom. Um, not too deeply, but they, they touch on it in, in, enough to make it somewhat interesting. They also get a bit further into things like manipulation of events. You know, where, where do, when does a journalist cross the line when they're trying to maybe pressure or push a contact into doing something to make the story bigger than it actually might be. And I think the film is a little bit too in your face at times with this subtext. You know, it's all about trying to increase the hit rate on most mostly on online sites and you know things like likes and shares and and this kind of thing um and the pressures that traditional sort of print newspapers that have now moved online face and trying to sort of keep up with the new media game so it, it it's a little bit over the top i mean there's this one journalist for the flash news side who's just blatantly evil right i mean he's like comic book evil there's a scene where a scaffolding is, you know, a crash has happened and a scaffolding's like tipped to fall over and crush this little girl and it's hanging by like a thread and he sees this and instead of going over and trying to save the little girl, he just sits there and sets up with his camera to take the shot, 
when it happens. You know, just so blatantly evil. And maybe there are people out there who would do this, and they touch back to... Um, uh, they, they actually make multiple references to a famous... The famous Kevin Carter photo. So if you're familiar with this photo, it's a photo of the Sudan famine and back in the 1990s, I think 1993, of a small uh, Sudanese girl who's starving and there's like a vulture in the background and Kevin Carter got famous for taking this photo and they try to use this as sort of a launching point for the discussion, you know, when is a photojournalist's role to you know, take a photo that's going to maybe change the minds of people and and set change as a precedent versus stepping in and actually helping, right? So when are you being exploitative and when are you um, basically helping to report the news that's going to facilitate change? So, you know, it, 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 you know, it gets to, to that point, but it is a little bit over the top at times, I think. Um, and a little bit just too in your face with with some of these notions. Um, another point is that, um, yeah. So there's a, there's a scene where there's a minibus. The minibus driver has like basically had a stroke, collapsed at the wheel. You know, foot's lead lead pedal on the wheel, and it's the, the minibus is careening down the street out of control, crashing into stuff. And the, uh, there's like a dozen journalists who see this, and they're all chasing down the street with their cameras in hands, snapping photos after this minibus that's out of control. And it crashes, and they all just like run up to the windows and are taking pictures of of the bodies. The one problem I really had with this scene was that it appeared that there were no passengers on the out-of-control minibus, that just the driver had collapsed. And the minibus was like driving out of control for a good you know long ways but then when the journalists get up to the minibus they're actually taking pictures of passengers who've apparently gotten killed or are at least unconscious and i'm thinking to myself why didn't any of them rush up to the front and try and control the minibus right because it just seems like the logical thing to do um so there was a little bit of an um either a shot issue or an editing issue with that sequence um but it's really just trying to show the you know, sort of the nature of the photographer, the photojournalist who's really just out to get some kind of sensationalized story, no matter, you know, you, you take the picture first before you check for a pulse kind of thing, or, or you try and help somebody. That's the, the dynamic idea that they're trying to push forward here. Um, so Mantat, again, he kind of goes into overdrive. He hits, he hits the overacting button a few times as um, he goes into several diatribes when he's opining about the unfairness of it all and his daughter that he's lost. And it does tend to feel a little bit TV-ish at times, but conversely, it looks great. I mean, again, they, they seem to be using some pretty um, really good equipment. Um, and again, they've taken shots and sequences from flashbacks from the TV show and put them on the big screen, and it looks very cinematic. So um, there's a good transition from uh, what you would see uh, online or on your TV or on your computer to um, seeing some of that same stuff again on the big screen. Um, with the cast, uh, I like Kate Young. I've seen her before. Uh, I first noticed her years back. She got a little bit famous for an abuse poster campaign they did here in Hong Kong. She's done some stage work. She's done some TV work. She's been in a few films like Demi Haunted and Mighty, Mighty Baby back in the day. Um, but she doesn't have a huge sort of cinematic filmography, but I tend to like her in the work that she does do. Gregory Wong here, too. He's sort of the disheveled photojournalist. He serves as kind of the moral compass for the team um, as sort of the experienced guy who's been there and, and kind of done that. Uh, a couple of other cameos, a lot of people from TV and TVB. Um, some people um, you'll recognize. Tony Ho pops up in a very brief scene basically being Tony Ho, right? A sleazy sort of politician. <laughs> um, so it's always great to see him hamming it up on the screen. Um, part of the issue that's problematic, though, is the time compression that happens because, yes, social media is fast. I get that. But they're having us believe that this film takes place in the span of a few hours, basically, from the time the hostages are are taken to the time these photojournalists are running around and 
getting information to that evening when there's sort of a mass rally. And I just think it was really a little bit too quick to be believable by the end. But the biggest problem I have with this film, and overall I, I kind of thought it was okay, I kind of liked it, um, is that there's one moment where they sort of amp up the seriousness. And in doing so, they make the whole case kind of a moot point. Because sort of the whole argument, um, that you know, the, the, the whole sort of narrative as they try and build your sympathy for the Mantat character is just suddenly thrown out the window. Because this one thing happens, and I, I know that they did it because they wanted to say, yeah, this is a serious thing, this isn't a comedy. You know, it's not trying to be a comedy. It's not trying to be just a standard TV be TV be drama. So we've got to, you know, do something really serious. And they do that thing, but then they never really return to it. Um, and they never really address it. And I think that undermines the whole plot, or at least the whole drive for the audience to be sympathetic to the Mantat character. And I won't spoil it here, but you'll know it when you see it when you watch this film. Um... So in closing, I'd say that, yeah, I mean, this is a, a pretty interesting experiment. It is, a, it is built on Wikipedia as a sequel to the series, and it, for, in that it serves that purpose pretty well. I mean, this is more of a direct sequel than pretty much anything we've seen um, with the perhaps the exclusion of uh, Return of the Cuckoo, right, which also was a pretty, you know, straightforward follow-up to that TVB drama. Um, but overall, I mean, for the stuff we're going to be talking about, um, a lot of that is, uh, you know, you can go see, you, uh, you can see Triumph in the Skies, that has English subtitles, um, but there's no real, there, there's no real true direct correlation to the film, aside from a couple characters, they don't really carry much over. Um, I think Line Walker 2, the TV series, also has... A English subtitled version out there but here again how much of that's going to carry over into the film we won't know that for a couple weeks so this is a pretty good straight carryover the problem is if you don't um, know Chinese you don't um, can't listen to Cantonese directly you're gonna have a hard time accessing the the series itself but this film makes it so you don't really need to be interesting to see if this goes up on Hong Kong TV mall too once it gets a release if they're just going to like stick it up there or they'll actually throw it out into the DVD and Blu-ray market. So Kevin, your thoughts on the menu? <clears throat> well, actually you you're talking about why the menu. I I don't know actually. I think it might it's, I think it's the original title of the TV series and I don't know if I want to watch 24 episodes <laughs> to find out why it's called a menu. Um, no, the thing is, I think that it's very much inspired by Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom. The Newsroom is about a um, a TV station, a, a TV news network. Um, this news anger was trying to sort of uh, re-energize and becomes, um, reinvent itself, rebrand itself to be a news network that, that civilizes its audiences. That doesn't play to market trends, but tell people what the news should be or they're trying to do the news right. And in a sense, that's kind of what the message of the menu is, you know, the film is about the um, chase for hit rates and all that stuff. And in the end, it turns out that the message is that the news, it, it's almost like a dig at the sensational news uh, uh, organizations of Hong Kong, right? The stop, yeah, you can do sensational news, but there should be at least one sort of voice of conscience that sort of brings, that tells you what is the proper thing to do as a news news journalist. And I don't, I don't know if that's anyone in Hong Kong is going to buy that, but um, that message is resonates very much uh, i guess in 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 hong kong's um sensational sort of news world but the thing is um so it, this is essentially like if you watch enough japanese tv you know that almost every hit drama becomes essentially comes up with a a film version uh, most of them are continuation of the story especially you know uh shows that about detectives you know shows with a lot of one-off episodes so um, detective shows doctor shows um things like that so this is essentially a a Hong Kong version of a Japanese drama, TV drama movie. Uh, continuation of a show, a very much yeah, a standalone the, story. The, the big difference is that with like the the Japanese dramas, they're usually like, what, eight episodes, nine Ten episodes, episodes. yeah, yeah. And then you get one or two episodes. movies, right? Right, just 24 episodes, right, continuing. Um, and in a way, actually, the thing is, they, they, I wouldn't say they're clever. I think it's a basic sort of minimal requirement that the film is very much a standalone story. 
but it is a continuation in that it spends sort of a few minutes to fill fill you in on these characters uh, in a very simple way, and there are these sort of flashbacks. Um, and it's fine. I think I, I haven't watched the TV show, and I didn't have any trouble catching up with these characters. Um, but you know, the thing is, for some reason, it sort of lacks that ambition. The th- like, for example, like this entire this is a newspaper, right? It's a newspaper. That means you know you have like. I don't know how many pages are in newspaper these days, but I would say, you know, if there's a free newspaper, then probably at least 30, you know, 30 page. Um, or, you know, if a proper newspaper, you have, you know, 100 pages maybe to fill. And yet everyone is following one news story. One news story. No well, one else I, I didn't have I didn't have that much because if you look at a lot of the local papers today, everything is is outsourced, right? Everything's a Reuters story or an AP. An, Associated Press story. I mean, they buy so much of the news that I didn't have a hard time believing that this paper only has sort of like maybe one core team and a couple uh, interns or something to do focus on a local story, right? Well, the thing uh, is, there are multiple local stories. It's a big Hong Kong's a big city, right? I mean, there are multiple stories. You know, there are multiple press conferences. You have your entertainment news. You have your 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 political beat. Yeah, but let's, let's be honest. If so, if if some dude, you know, went to uh, one of the local TV stations and took, you know, uh, 10 hostages and, with a bomb, you know that that's where everybody would be because that's pretty major news. Well, sure, but I think that there would still be other... Re- the thing is, for, for, for a movie about a newspaper organization, no one seems to be worried about print deadlines. Like, well, no one seems to be printing anything. Well, no, like, it was all... It was because they, they, they said, right? I mean... It's There's online, one scene where but... she says to the junior writers, like, uh, here's the story. It has to be up in 10 minutes. And they didn't even make that, right? Because they got scooped by their, the, the rival, yeah. like, after yeah, eight minutes. Sure. sure. There's, like, a like a um, emphasis on online, 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 whatever. But the thing is, it, it, there's no talk of print deadlines, right? No one seems to, want to need to print anything. No one talks about filing anything. It, it's a really odd sort of, it's a very narrow-minded sort of, uh, myopic view of that industry to me because it doesn't the, the the ambition isn't really there like actually the plot structure I think it's fine like I kind of like that send one day kind of reminds me of Ron Howard's The Paper which is a film that I really really like um, and 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 I, I really like that kind of structure it's great it's fine I think the film is actually pretty solid in terms of structuring a plot um, as a standalone film but it's just these always little details that sort of make it keep it within sort of a TV TV drama sort of way like there you know the acting style like Montag goes all Liu Kai Chi right like he goes so Liu Kai Chi that I think Liu Kai Chi watches the movie is worried about <laughs> Montag getting a heart attack right he's like dude 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 tongue it down like <laughs> it, it goes that crazy and and you know you have but for example you have Gregory Wallace the, the reporter you know he realizes his connection to the hostage situation, and he has this, this scene in the rooftop where he's like almost crying, and it's like, oh, I didn't do it. It's like it's completely like the, the acting is just very TV drama ish, and all the exposition dialogue, and it just none of it feels very cinematic. I think, and it's kind of a shame because the plot itself is sort of the the story if they come up with could be very cinematic, could yeah. be very exciting, but it doesn't really have that. The directing or the writing, specifically the writing, don't follow up on that ambition. And it's part of it is because it doesn't create a believable world, right? Uh, it doesn't create a believable world. It doesn't have it doesn't have the, the requisite B plot of a to to sort of create like this is a really a story about a news organization rather than just these three people. Um, that's why to me I couldn't buy this 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 you know news so called newspaper organization because it is lacking that B plot that sort of establishes the universe to me. Instead, it's just all everyone sort of focused on this one thing, and to me this felt really odd. Um, but uh, otherwise, the thing is I I found it actually kind of enjoyable along the way. Um, it is entertaining. And it doesn't really slow down. And it's a really solid story. Um, it's just the execution is really lackluster. Um, and you do hope you did kind of the, the whole time I'm watching, I sort of hope that they did it better because it is sort of uh, it had a lot of potential to be much better. Um, but yeah, otherwise I, I thought it was entertaining. I think actually it's fine. It's not a terrible Hong Kong film. It, it's actually pretty solid for what we're getting these days. I think. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Hong Kong TV did get I, what I can't remember the name of it now, but they they have another series I think with Angelica Lee that um, election. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a political series, and that got some pretty good positive press. Um, so I think that they, you know, it's too bad that they can't really go forward and, and and do more than what they're already doing, and they've kind of gotten mired down in this sort of online store in order to keep themselves afloat. Because technically, I think, I do agree the writing, you know, does feel very TV-ish. But the, the sort of the the look of the film, I mean, it feels, it, it looks cinematic, right? It doesn't look like um, a, a TV drama, you know? So I think in terms of the equipment and and so the, the sort of technical execution on that that scale, it was fine. You know, it, it wasn't amazingly beautiful or anything, but I don't think it was trying to be. Right. I mean, the thing is, I um, they had cinematic ambition, as I say. They had ambition, and they didn't have sort of anything to back it up. But it's true that, that the thing is, this, this film was produced, actually wasn't produced by HKTV, but actually produced by China 3D. Mm. Uh, so China 3D is sort of bringing back sort of the brand that because HKTV doesn't have money to make movies, right? Or although they still have that equipment and they still have the they 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 did talk about going to film production, but um, and if it was their first film production, this would be a solid start. Um, but yeah, I I I think that like you said, there is some kind of recontinuity recont- error, like the car crash, right? The the minibus crash of like there's no one in the back, and yet suddenly there's all these, and you realize you're watching the film, you're like. Wait a minute! There are people in the back because they set this whole they set the whole thing up as passengers getting on and the driver checking the messages. So there are passengers in the back, and they couldn't make they couldn't make that one shot work. Yeah, you know. Um, so there are these little mistakes and it's kind of odd. And yeah, it, it's it's there. It's on the way there. That's kind of the frustrating thing is that it's on the way, but it just couldn't get there. When yeah, and, yeah. It's, a, it's a freshman start. You know, it, it, I, I'm I'm a bit for more forgiving because of that and. Uh, like you said, it's it's fairly entertaining for what it does. It's not terrible. Yeah, eighty nine minutes is a really brisk running time. It's totally painless, um, and like it's actually one of the most solid local productions this year. Is it? I enjoyed it more than Cold War Two, even. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, I think that's going to wrap things up on our end for this episode. You have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabower of Snauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We've also received a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at kongcast.com. You can find us over at Twitter at kongcast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Facebook at East S West S. I urge you, too, to follow Kevin and all the things that he's doing. Sir, where can they find out more about you? Hey, you can read my work uh, on the Discovery Magazine uh, and Silk Road Magazine, which you can find on Cathay Pacific Airways and uh, Cathay Dragon airways as well or airlines whatever uh i finally remember what i'm writing this month uh this month for world film club i wrote about the indian film bahabuli the beginning um and also for tv i wrote about uh see i don't remember what i wrote for tv but anyway august is a great issue another great mm-hmm. issue um uh so i urge you to check it out if you're flying Cathay pacific or dragon air please check out those magazines and you can also um check out discovery magazine uh, on your ipad uh, download the Discovery app on your iPad uh, app store. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. Or you can email me at thegoldenrock at gmail.com. All right, excellent. You know, And speaking of TV, let me just throw this out there. I know that uh, for many of you, this is already old news by the time this episode gets posted. But Stranger Things, so freaking awesome. Oh, man, don't mind me. I got too many shows. So very good. It's only eight episodes, dude. It is totally doable within a forty-eight hour period. Well, the problem is, blood is so good. 
the problem is that Bloodline is four episodes too long, and I'm like ten episodes <laughs> in first season, I still can't finish a damn thing. Oh, so much goodness! I, I, you know, it's. I was telling somebody on, I think on Facebook, I liked it so much that I kind of don't want them to do a season two. There, they've already been some inklings of a season two, but it is such a well-contained, well-told story that I'm afraid that they'll try and run it into the ground. And I'm, I think the kids are going to grow too fast um, and grow out of the show um, before they can, you know, do more with it. So I, I just if you were like me, generation generation Xer fan of science fiction and horror films from the 80s, this is a show that's right up your alley. Uh, great story, great performances, great music all around. Um, definitely check it out. Um, it's on Netflix, so. Unfortunately, that's the only place to get it right now. But, um, you know, if it comes your way in another form and you don't have Netflix, do try and see it. All right. Our next episode is going to be episode 200. 200. We've been doing this for way too long, right? That's what <laughs> 200 means. Um, we're probably just going to have a brief sort of a chit-chatty episode uh, for that. Nothing super special. And try to get a few of our previous uh, guests uh, to come on and say a few words. Um uh, sort of a patchwork show. Um, I'm borrowing an idea from uh, Mr. Brewerson over at the Podcast on Fire. Um, but we will be getting back to some films after that. I'm going to have a couple guests coming on um, for a future episodes to talk about some of the more recent films, um, West Green films, uh, League of Gods, and some other stuff. And um, then I think we're going to be getting back to talk about uh, Line Walker, the movie. Um, which is our film coming out this week. And uh, we've, uh, as Kevin mentioned at the start, we've got uh, some Lao Ching Wan movies and some other stuff. Godzilla uh, also coming. I do want to do an episode on that as well. Um, hopefully we'll be able to tap all that down before I make my great exodus out of Hong Kong uh, at the start of September. So all of that and more coming up on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying we wish you good viewing and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Ah.